We think of what we just sung, what Habakkuk wrote, and what dire circumstances he was in. And yet he said, I will rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. And we can continue to rejoice as we read this wonderful exhortation to prayer in James chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 13 through 18. This is the living word of God. Let's rejoice in it. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that since we are justified by faith, we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can come directly, boldly into your presence to seek your face, to seek your will, to understand your precious law, your word. And we ask, Lord, that we would grasp what you are telling us in this passage, that we would apply it, that we'd be zealous to obey the one we love and the one who loves us with an everlasting love. And so we commit this time to you. Make us teachable disciples, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon, obviously, today is on prayer. The whole day has been in prayer. A whole worship service has been in prayer. As Even as we sang, we have been praying throughout this whole time. And this letter of James is uh, an excellent letter to help us understand that we must be acting in faith, of course, and doing what we're called to do. And it highlights that justification, our justification is by faith. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. And also that our faith... Our justification, in fact, is demonstrated by works of faith and by actions of faith, prayer being one of those actions. In fact, prayer is a primary action of faith that we are called to, to uh, obey. Now, James's letter urging action and the practice of our faith. In fact, uh, some people call it, I saw in some commentaries, they called it the book of Proverbs of the New Testament because it's a very practical book. I've been reading, uh, oh, past couple months, a pastor named Tim Challies up in Canada. This is not an endorsement of everything he writes, but he does write some wonderful things uh, on prayer, and he writes uh, prayers that uh, almost bring me to tears as I read them, the prayers that he prays for his congregation. Uh, but he said this, and this has to do with uh, prayer and action, or prayer and work. He said, prayer and work belong together. They are like two oars, okay, picture this, two oars, when used together, keep a rowboat moving forward. If you use only one oar, in other words, you know, you're praying, but you're not acting, you're not working, or if you're working and you're not praying, you're going to just row in circles. I think that is true, that's a great illustration. And James begins and ends uh, this letter with a strong encouragement to pray. Verse, uh, chapter one, verse five says that if we lack wisdom, we're to ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we are to ask and we can ask, praise God, boldly. And then here in chapter five, we are definitely urged, we'll see through this sermon, to take action in prayer. And the kind, in fact, that avails much, that is very effective. Verse 13 begins, is anyone among you suffering? Asks a simple question, is anyone among you suffering? The answer is, let him pray, and it goes on, is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms, is anyone among you sick, let him anoint, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so there's three questions here we're gonna look at just for a minute. We can see here that we are to pray, basically, at all times you're suffering, if you're cheerful and joyful, if you're sick. All those times are times to pray. And uh, you may not think that you pray much or you don't know how to pray very well. 
Because maybe you're thinking in, in a different way. Maybe you think prayer is mostly just formal supplication. It's only that time when you're on your knees, kind of like that. But I'd like to share here um, a basic definition of prayer. Basic definition of prayer. Uh, kind of a fundamental. And it reminded me that Vince Lombardi, the big, great Packer football guy, when he, they lost this big game, and the next day he met with his players and he said, uh, gentlemen, uh, we're going to go back to the fundamentals. This is a football. And so... This is a basic definition of prayer, and it is in the Shorter Catechism. You've all read it. Some of you have memorized it. I think it is extremely helpful. It's been very helpful to me. I will probably refer to it at least three times during this sermon. And it is in your notes. This is a question and answer number 98. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. We'll go through this a little bit more as we go through the sermon. Verse 13 uh, begins then, is anyone among you suffering? So to ask a very basic question, can be asked anytime, almost anywhere, yes, someone is suffering. Is anyone among you suffering now, though particularly? Let him pray, it says. The answer is three words, let him pray. Well, how to deal with suffering is a very common question in life for all people. And here we have a short question and a very effective answer about suffering. And we will see more what that means throughout this passage. But first, I want to ask you, how do you think the, the world, or the, I'm saying those outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, how, do they, how do they deal with suffering? How do you think they would answer the question if you said to them, you know, are you suffering? How, how do you deal with that? By the way, I believe this is an excellent question in terms of evangelism. If you don't know how to begin a conversation with somebody, everybody's suffered. If you ask them, how do you think, you know, how do you deal with suffering? You're probably going to hear a lot. You probably have a great opening to share the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you ask them, you know, if you're suffering physically or emotionally, what, what do you do? What should you do? And I, I got to thinking of a few things. First of all, I think maybe a common one would be just to blame somebody else, but I shouldn't be suffering. Why am I suffering? It must be somebody else's fault. That's a very common thing to do. Now, if you're suffering some other way, uh, you might go to court, and maybe you should, but uh, maybe you think, well, I need to deal with this legally. I don't know what to do with this kind of suffering. You might complain or grumble, as ineffective as that is. Very natural to do. You might get angry or bitter. You might, if it's some kind of physical suffering or even psychological, uh, you might go to a doctor or a psychiatrist and say, just fix this. Fix it now. I don't want to suffer. And of course, we are not of the world, brothers and sisters. And the first and primary action that we see right here of the children of the Lord, when suffering, it says, is to pray. And it says, in fact, it says, let him, let them pray meaning that it is always possible in the Lord to come before the Lord Jesus. We have freedom of access to the throne through the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the throne of the Almighty God, for whom nothing is impossible. And in Psalm 34, it tells us, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His eyes are on us and his ears are open to their cry. He is listening and we should never hesitate to cry out, as we've heard all through this, this service and through the meditation. We can cry out to the Lord, we should. And uh, he is always watching over us, he's always hearing. Paul told the, the Philippians to not be anxious, not only not be anxious, but not be anxious about anything. And he said, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, so there again, let him pray, let your requests be made known to God. He knows all things. And if the Lord in his grace, this is just a personal, in, I'm injecting something personal. So I've told some of you this before, how great a worrier I was growing up before I was in the Lord. And if the Lord had not regenerated my heart, had not opened my eyes, I believe I was on track to becoming a world-class worrier. I mean, I, I was good at worrying. I, I was very skilled. I was very practiced at it. And I just praise God. that he delivered me from what I believe would have been a wretched life of fear and hopelessness. 
And I can come to him freely. And I do. And I cry out to him. And I praise God that the result, it says here in Philippians, of coming to the Lord, which we can do with everything by prayer, it says, is that the peace of God, which is something we cannot comprehend, but we can know it, we can rejoice in it, it says it will guard our minds and our keep our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be the result, that we will look to see Jesus. And for us all, it isn't really if we will suffer, but when. And at that time, we are to come to the Lord because he is our uh, strength. He is our hope. He's our life. He is the one who, who cares for us. That, it seems, though, is one of the lessons that we will be continually learning, brothers and sisters, that it's one of the blessings we'll continually have also, that uh, we must come to the Lord in prayer. We must be urged to do so by each other. We're to ask our loving Heavenly Father for His grace continually and, and for wisdom as we suffer. I think sometimes it's easy for us to come to each other. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. In fact, that will turn out to be one of the major points of this sermon. We must come to each other. But maybe it's like the first thing maybe we do uh, even before praying to the Lord. And we should come to each other, as I said. But we, we each must seek the Lord when suffering begins. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness And then all those things that you are crying out for, in need of, which he already knows, will be given to you. Now, in another prayer of the congregation, which I mentioned, this Pastor Challies, he prayed this. Let us believe that often the best thing we can do is not to act first, but pray first. He said, let prayer be our first instinct rather than our last resort. It should be our first instinct rather than our last resort. Well, another pastor, this pastor was 300 years ago, uh, he said this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. In other words, yeah, you can take action after you've prayed. So you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Or you should not do more than pray until you have prayed. That was John Bunyan. And he also said this, pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, protects us. It is a sacrifice to God, it's an offering to God, and it's a scourge to Satan. So, three great reasons to pray often. So first of all, we should seek the Lord, as well as then seek the intercessions of the members of the body of Christ that he has placed us in. Praise God. Verse 13b says, is anyone cheerful? Okay, so the first one, is anyone sorrow, you know, sorrowful or is so, anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Well, as I asked earlier, I'll kind of ask the same similar question. How do those in the world react, you know, when they're cheerful? Okay, what might they say, you know? Uh, what might they think? What might they be? What might they do? Okay, hey, I'm cheerful. Yeah, they might also sing, like we're enjoined to do here. They might whistle, but probably not. They won't, probably won't be singing the words of, of uh, the scriptures. But they might say something like, or think something like, well, I should be cheerful. I should never really be not cheerful. I should be, I want to be this way. I deserve this. Yeah, that's what, isn't that what all advertisements say? You deserve this. Go ahead and buy it right now. You know, I should always be happy. This is the way it should be for me. And if not, maybe they will try to contrive something to make them cheerful. You know, maybe they go shopping. I'm not saying shopping's bad. I'm just saying they'll spend a lot more than they should because, you know, that just makes them feel better. Uh, Or in procrastination, they might just avoid something that uh, does not make them cheerful at all. Uh, Or they just indulge in something, something that makes them feel good. Well, praise God for the Christian again, even in suffering and sickness, like we sang in Habakkuk there, Our hearts can know the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And when we are cheerful, and when we are knowing the joy of the Lord, again, we should pray. In fact, uh, in this case, we'd call it praise, but it is prayer, right? Praising God, rejoicing, singing psalms is prayer, prayer offered to the Lord. Ephesians 5 says that we should be making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Should be making melody in our heart kind of prayer. Now, supplication is the one form that we usually think of when we're going through hard times, but uh, we must also praise the Lord, of course, and adore Him, uh, confess 
which will be referred to in verses 15 and 16 in this passage. And give thanks. Philippians 4, 6 again. 1 Thessalonians 5 said, we should rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. And we pray in these ways corporately each Lord's Day. We've done it this day, as we always do, A-C-T-S. And it's a blessing to pray uh, together in that way. We adore the Lord, we confess our sins, we give thanks to Him, and we bring our supplications to Him. And when, we are, when you are joyful and cheerful, you know, when your heart is light, Praising God is essentially your offering, uh, it's an offering to Him. Your joy can be an offering to Him. It's a pleasing offering in, in prayer. Hebrews 13 says, through Jesus, let us again continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And it's called the fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice of praise to the Lord God. We're praying again. And a wonderful way to express this joy in prayer, I believe, is to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, I like to, I think I've mentioned before, I like to get a, a good song in my head before, uh, before the day begins, basically. Either in my quiet time or if I'm in the car, I've learned I don't turn on any other music. I might listen to the news or the weather, but I do not listen to any song because for some reason, that will be stuck in my head the rest of the day. So I want to get something stuck in my head that exalts the Lord God. Like the song in, from Habakkuk is just wonderful. And so I want to get that stuck in my, he- my head and sing it throughout the day as an offering of praise to the Lord God. It's good to sing psalms in times of cheerfulness, of course, and uh, they also make us cheerful. And I'm so grateful for the joy that I have, uh, that I'm able to express in this congregation as we sing here, because you all sing with zeal, because you sing with joy. And praise the Lord again, as I want to do often for the music team that helps me to do the same. And by the way, in times of suffering and sorrow, singing psalms or you know, playing music, if you're inclined to do that with an instrument, or listening to, listening to good music that is scriptural, that turns your heart to the Lord, is very helpful. Very helpful. It calms our hearts. It, it turns our mind to the one who loves us. And it gives us even more reasons to be cheerful. Well, then in verse 14... This is another question and answer, another teaching on prayer. It says, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So those in the local body of Christ should always take the opportunity to ask their elders to pray for them. Their elders are called to do that. They should be men of prayer. They should be practiced in prayer. And they, your elders, those who are praying for you, need for their flock to pray that they would be even more so men of prayer. Paul often, I I wrote many down, I'll just share a few, that Paul asked people to pray for him. Romans 15, 30 says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Then in Ephesians 6, he prayed for boldness, that he would have boldness to proclaim the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, he just said, Brethren, pray for us. Matthew Henry said this, The praying ones are to the preacher or to the elder as Aaron and Hur were to Moses. They hold up his hands and decide the issue that is so fiercely raging around them. In other words, you have a great impact. Your prayer has a great impact on, on you as you pray for your elders. And it has a great impact on this church. Now, using the word call here, it uses that. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. would indicate that you have to at some level, decide to do this. You must have some initiative. You you must act in faith in this uh, to ask your God-given leaders to intercede for you. This is a good thing. This is one of the reasons you have been given elders. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the the apostles were clarifying what their main tasks were after they made it clear what the tasks of deacons are. And they said in verse 4, These are the tasks for the deacons, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, of course, uh, your elders, the elders can pray for you even if you don't call them to to come and to do so. And when they don't know many of the particulars that you're going through 
or the specific things that, that you need us to ask for. Of course, we, can, we still do pray. But often, elders don't know what to pray clearly. And, and even though you are doing, you're going through some suffering, uh, until you communicate with us, we, we try to be observant. But the sooner we are aware of your need for prayer, the better we can intercede for you. Now, in the bulletin, uh, I guess I do have one, but in the bulletin at the end, right after the benediction, it says this, anointing and prayer. Any who are sick and desire anointing with oil and prayer for healing may ask the elders after the service. Now, I will apologize that for some reason I deleted that for like two or three months and then Phil noticed it and I put it back in. I don't know why it was gone. But we definitely want this to take place. We desire to pray for you. We want to pray with you and for you. We want to grow ourselves with you in faith. In the body of Christ, we are not meant, I believe, to, to suffer alone. The persecuted know this. They cry out for this. Remember the prisoners as if uh, chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. We are praying this day, brothers and sisters, for those who are enduring great physical suffering, uh, other kinds of suffering. And I believe uh, we will pray effectual prayers, prayers that avail much. Well, Rod and Phil and I have all had the experience of hearing sometime later that you were going through something. You were going through a trial. You had a huge decision, whatever. And, and while you are each, of course, yourselves enjoined here even to pray, if you are suffering, it says, let him pray, basically, first of all. To call on your leaders is part of the blessing and the responsibility of every member of the body of Christ. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you, in other words, those who lead you by God's calling. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. That's why we pray. We believe this. We, watch, we want to watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So call for the elders of the church. Don't hesitate, please. And let us pray over you. To hold back and asking us to pray makes it harder for us to fulfill our calling, to shepherd you, and for which we must give account to the Lord. We have yet to achieve, I, I believe, well, I haven't talked to Rodney and Phil, but we have yet to achieve the, you know, my mind to your mind kind of transfer of information. And the older we get, I think we, we also uh, tend to forget things, you know. So please share from your heart. Well, here in verse 14, it's implied that the sick person, the one needing prayer, uh, is on his sick bed. This person is not able to move, to get up. They're, they're sick. They're, it could be unto death. So they're limited physically. And so it is necessary, you know, sometimes for the elders to come. In this case, they, they, he called for them, he said, call for them to come and pray over him. And certainly, again, they can pray remotely. Yet to pray in person is preferable, I believe. To lay hands on the person is a blessing to anoint them. And then when the elders are present, they're called here to anoint that person who has some kind of a sickness physically, probably, and to pray in the name of the Lord. There is... Some, actually, there was quite a few uh, views of what this means. I don't know how many commentaries I read, and even disagreement as to what this means, as to why oil is needed in this case. And uh, probably, it, it, it was often used medicinally. Maybe many of you know that. Back then, even more so now sometimes. I think olive oil is being widely used medicinally, even now. It's, it's very good for many, many uh, situations. And for example, in the, in the parable of the Samaritan, you know, he, he saw the man and he poured oil and wine uh, on, on his injuries. So we must always acknowledge that healing is by the power of the Lord also. Anointing with, we, so anointing him, the person who is sick with oil in the name of the Lord. And so it is his name we are calling on when we do that. It is his will we are seeking as and we desire for his glory in this. We, we are humbling ourselves to seek it when we ask for healing and strength. It's the Lord who heals. It isn't the oil itself. Although the Lord may use that means also. He can use any means he, want, he wants. But it is the action of faith in the Lord, which his spirit enables us to have. And by his power, that heals us. And he should receive all glory for that. Our faith is not in the oil, brothers and sisters. Phil Rod and I sometimes forget, in fact, 
we, we forget where it is in this building. It's over there somewhere in it. Okay. Uh, but I think now we all know where it is. We probably would remember it. But uh, the Lord hears as we come in the name of Jesus, and we should be confident that he hears. And so when you are suffering or when you are joyful, when you are cheerful, when you are sick, pray to the Lord yourself and praise the Lord yourself. And then ask for prayer from those who are called to pray for you, from your elders and from your fellow members of the body of Christ. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now the wording prayer of faith is used in this particular way only in the New Testament in James. And basically it means that God gives grace to pray in faith uh, to the elders in, in this particular situation or here, to the elders and to the sick person who exercise faith in calling for the elders to pray for him. It's not a, a rote kind of prayer. It's not some mystical thing. Uh, it's not a vain repetition like we saw in Matthew 6 earlier that we read. So the prayer of faith is not referring, by the way, to the salvation of their souls. This is not the, uh, what is called in the Roman Catholic Church, extreme unction. This is not that, although this is the text that they use to make a uh, sacrament for salvation. So the prayer of faith, it says, will heal the sick. In other words, will save this person, uh, will heal them and enable them to be raised up. That Greek word uh, is sometimes, sozo is sometimes used for heal, sometimes used for save. And then the word uh, raise him up or lift him up. Uh, similar to Peter's mother-in-law. Remember when she was, his mother-in-law was sick and he came, he took her by the hand, he prayed and, and he lifted her up. And so that same word uh, does not mean, it's not for salvation, it's for their physical healing so that they can actually stand up from their sickbed. Well, the second sentence of verse 15 says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Committing sin causes suffering in general, of course. Sin is destructive. Sin is hurtful on a number of levels. But not all sickness is a direct result of a, of a specific sin. In John chapter 9, uh, Jesus and the disciples were walking and they saw a man who was blind on the side of the road. And they found, learned that he was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then, of course, sometimes a malady or a sickness is not removed when you've asked rightly, you've done uh, what you, you should in faith. You know, Paul asked three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. And, and the answer, and he received an answer, was that my grace is sufficient and my power will be revealed in your weakness. Albert Barnes is a commentator and he said this, disease is often greatly aggravated by the trouble of mind which arises from conscious guilt. And in such a case, nothing will contribute more directly to recovery than the restoration of peace to the soul agitated by guilt. This may be secured by confession, confession made first to God and then to those who are wronged. Phil Rodney and I usually uh, do ask when we pray here or almost any time we ask uh, the person who has asked for prayer if they are aware of any sins that need to be confessed? Are there things that uh, they need to bring before the Lord or before another brother and sister? Knowing that uh, unconfessed sin may be a part of the cause of the suffering. Well, verse 16 goes on and it says, confess your trespasses. Uh, this is uh, a different word than is often used for sin. Hamartia, this is not that word. This is a word that means not necessarily willful sin. But it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, so that our brothers and sisters can pray for us, we are to confess, we're to be open in sharing and asking for prayer. And basically it's a confession of need. I need for you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And then letting certain, not everyone, not letting certain brothers or sisters in the Lord possibly know our need for prayer. It's not necessarily uh, all our sins. This is not, I believe, saying all our sins need to be told to all people. This is not calling uh, for that. 
uh, or to share to any, just any person in the body of Christ. It may, that may occur. Matthew 18, though, gives us principles. Uh, the first verse in, uh, the first verse that talks about this in Matthew 18 is verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the beginning of the process. But there may be a time for more public confession. In fact, in the history of revivals, that is usually what did occur, a moving of the spirit to publicly and and corporately confess. But basically, as a body, we must have, and we should pray that we have uh, even more, uh, a spirit of a willingness here a willing spirit among all of us to come to each other, to deal with sin, and to ask for prayer in whatever matter it is, to confess our faults to one another, who, uh, if they have been wronged, especially to confess our faults to the one who has been wronged, but to confess our need for prayer. The confession here is not of a healthy person to confess for salvation uh, or to go to a priest uh, to where they think they could be absolved of that sin, but it's by a sick person. This is the context of this passage. It's a sick person, someone uh, to go to someone in the body of Christ and asking for prayer that he might be healed. He's acting in faith. He wants you to act in faith and pray with him. Now, regarding sickness as a judgment of God uh, meant to restore, Albert Barnes also said, perhaps this is oftener than we suppose, one of the methods which God takes to bring us, to bring his offending or backsliding children back to him or to warn and reclaim the guilty. Yes, suffering is, God does that. This kind of sickness can lead to repentance, praise God, and if it is the will of God, then to physical restoration. But the main point is that healing can come as we pray for one another. It can come. Prayers of faith by people of faith, people who are in the faith together, praying for each other, it says avails much. Now, we don't use that word very often, but this kind of prayer avails much, brothers and sisters. And we shouldn't doubt this. We shouldn't doubt that it will avail much. There will be an effect that this kind of prayer by the saint in faith is very effective. In fact, it is the most effective way to help each other. We are meant to pray for one another. And we should expect it to avail, to pray, believing it will accomplish what the Lord desires and that he will be pleased in our request. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So avail means work. It's going to work. It's useful. It's effective. It's, it's beneficial. And it's profitable. And again, prayer is effective because, back to the catechism, it's effective because, we, first of all, we offered up our desires unto God. We brought them to him who is mighty and awesome, who already knows it, but he wants us to pray. And he can do all things. And we need to bring those to him. And we're, to, we're his people, we're his children. And then it says, uh, for things agreeable to his will. In other words, we are praying the word of God. We know the word of God to some degree. And so that is what we're praying. We know we can pray that. He wants us to pray that. And in this little book I was going to mention uh, later, but it's called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. It's really short. It's got one main thesis, but it's very helpful in how to pray the Bible. And I'll refer to that right at the end. And then it says we're to pray in the name of Christ. We always pray in the name of Jesus here. If you notice, the men pray that way. And it's because it is by the merits of the Lord Jesus Not our merits or our skill, of course, in prayer, even in prayer. John 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then it says, with confession of our sins, so as much as we can, by the grace of God, by the leading of his Spirit, we are to not hold on to our sins, we're to uh, confess them and repent. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I had regarded iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But in that passage, he said, but he did listen. He gave ear to the voice of my prayer. He had confessed. And then we're to give thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, which means, you know, thankful that we can come at all into his presence and ask. And thankful, I believe, even in advance, even advance for hearing us and answering according to his perfect will and uh, for our good. Matthew Henry said this, kind of a long definition right at the end. It says, this is why it avails much. So remember that that's what he's coming to. It avails much. He said, when a righteous person, a true believer, justified in Christ, 
and by his grace walking before God in obedience, presents an effectual fervent prayer, wrought in his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, raising believing expectations. So there's an expectation. He believes. He has faith. And so leading earnestly to plead the promises of God at his mercy seat, he said, it avails much. If you doubt you are righteous enough to come before the Lord, brothers and sisters, you have been been imputed righteous by the grace of God who accepts the sacrifice of the Lord for your sin, his payment to redeem you, his atonement for your sin. And so you can pray. You can adore him anytime. You can confess. You can give thanks. You can bring your request before him. And prayer is not effective because of the number of words. We already saw that earlier. Matthew 6 says, "When when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases. Just don't pile them on and on. They don't have to always be the same either. And that's another thing this book is kind of helpful for. His thesis basically is that people get discouraged in prayer because uh, they kind of don't know what to pray or they find that they're always praying the same thing. And I'll tell you a story of a man, uh, a a mighty man of prayer, who that's the way he was praying initially. And I'll tell you that in a minute. But Matthew 6 says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So it is effective. Prayer is powerful because you in faith, even if it's a small kind, even if it's the mustard seed kind, by the way, mustard seed kind of faith turns out is pretty big in the kingdom. So pray to the Lord based on the merits of the Lord. It is effective because of who he is and that we have prayed to glorify him, to exalt his name as we come to him in humility and pray. Calvin said of the book of James and especially this passage here, he said, James, the book of James reminds us that the saints ought to be considered as having the infirmity of their flesh so that we may learn to ascribe what they obtain from the Lord, not to their merits, but to the efficacy of prayer in Christ. He, we should ascribe it to him. Now, we can ask the Lord to increase our faith, of course. We can ask him to help us grow in righteousness, to, be, uh, to continue growing in righteousness. But we should never wait to pray. We should never wait. In fact, we grow in faith as we pray. And when we pray in faith, we can expect, we should expect, we should have expectations uh, of this, that the Lord will hear and he will answer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison and it says that constant or earnest prayer was offered to God for him by the church. There's this prayer meeting going on over here. And it goes on from verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, in other words, he realized then, well, there was an angel, uh, you know, that I actually am out. The door actually opened. The chains actually fell off. It says he came to himself and he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. And it goes on. So, When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Praise God. They were having a prayer meeting, as they they often did. And And then as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She's so excited. So she ran back, Peter's at the gate. But they said to her, you remember what they said to her? You are beside yourself. You're crazy, basically. So they were good at the praying part, but maybe not so good at the expecting part or what to expect. I don't know how they were praying exactly. But it goes on, it says, yet she kept insisting that it was so. It is Peter. And so they said, it is his angel. So they kind of accepted a possible answer to their prayer here, but, but not that it could be the real Peter outside banging on the door wanting to get in. I, I believe this is what you'd call an Ephesians 3.20 prayer. Ephesians 3.20 prayer. It was above all that they could ask and think. But the Lord God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask and think. And it ends by, like this. It says, now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw, they saw him, and they were astonished. Well, answered prayer can be astonishing, of course. It can be wonderful. And yet, 
we should realize more and more as we pray that the prayer of those righteous in the Lord Jesus and who are growing in righteousness because they are praying, they are expecting, uh, that this is what the Lord does. This is what the Lord can do in ways beyond our comprehension. We should never limit God in praying mighty prayers. And related to this, I'd like to share something personal again, related to this good at the praying part, but not so good at the expecting part. For some 47, maybe almost 48 years now, my sister, who is five years older than my brother and I, has not wanted to talk, basically not at all, but especially about faith in the Lord Jesus. And I tried over the years, Sherry tried since our marriage to, to talk to her, but she closed the door. This is a long time. And I did pray off and on, and I would admit it wasn't really diligently, and I confess it wasn't even very expectantly. In this, I believe I've been a man of little faith, and I've asked the Lord to forgive me. But three weeks ago, Sherry and I were at a picnic, and my sister and brother-in-law were there, and I was talking to my brother-in-law over here. Sherry's talking to my sister over here. And uh, during that time, my sister shared with Sherry that she is starting to look again at faith in Christ. She's at her Christian roots, and it's, it's a process. It's, it's beginning, but and she apologized to Sherry. She asked for forgiveness for her rude and harsh rebuffs over these years. Of course I'm thankful, and I rejoice. Praise God. Praise God. And I also realize I'm like those, maybe praying for Peter. Yes, I was praying. I was somewhat astonished when Sherry told me. Uh, to me, this is an Ephesians 3.20 kind of answer to prayer. Our God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. He is able, dear people. And so I guess the question I would ask you is, are you hesitating to uh, persistently pray and to boldly pray? Because you just can't see how that could happen. So you're not really praying this. But may the Lord fill us with his spirit and with the spirit of faith that he would receive all glory. Finally, the Lord has given here an example of an effective and fervent prayer. This is uh, the prophet Elijah. And there are many in scripture uh, examples that could be used, but uh, James, by the leading of the spirit, is uh, focusing on uh, Elijah here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly or fervently that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Well, that's maybe Ephesians 3.20, but it's amazing. And this, you can look up the history of this later, but it was in 1 Kings 17. And Baal, Baal is the pagan Canaanite god of the storms. And so this prayer of Elijah showed that it is the living God who controls the weather and the storms. And uh, I guess we need to boldly tell that to the radical environmentalists. But it's the living God. And Elijah saw the mighty hand of God in a number of ways in his, in his work, you know, he was a prophet, and so he, you, we all might think that, well, we can't really pray like him. I can't be effective like the prophet Elijah. And yet it says here, specifically, he was a man of like nature. He was weak. Remember after his encounter with the prophets of Baal? He was discouraged because Jezebel was chasing him all over to kill him. But he was led to pray this. And it, it was not that he was a prophet that the Lord heard him. Uh, and his prayer was effective, but because as a believer, he prayed and the Lord heard him. And, and he, as he readily hears us when we cry out as his children, this is here in scripture to encourage us. Matthew Henry said that he said, uh, this is encouragement to the ordinary Christian that we should be earnest in prayer. Matthew Henry also said, God never says to any of the seed of Jacob, seek my face in vain. If Elijah by prayer could do such great and wonderful things, surely the prayers of no righteous man, righteous in Christ, shall return void. So the word here is telling us that we have power in prayer like Elijah. 
We serve the same Lord. We are, we're not prophets, of course. We're not called to do exactly what he did. Um, but we do have ready access to the throne of grace of the Almighty God. We may not be laid to prayer for drought uh, and the resulting famine against this idolatrous land, which is uh, what happened, but, and then for rain. But we come to the same God. Again, we come to the living God to offer our desires to him. Things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And it is, brothers and sisters, I think very helpful and encouraging for us to be reminded of uh, biblical examples uh, of effective prayer and men of prayer in our times. And the man I was going to mention that I mentioned earlier is George Mueller. You know, if somebody asks you, who's, a, who's an example of a man of prayer? You might say, George Mueller. One reason that I love to read missionary biographies is that uh, I often see that, okay, these people are physically weak. They're gifted, yes, called by God, yes, but uh, they're weak. And what is accomplished in the name of the Lord because they are praying people, and they know they have no power outside of that. George Mueller was a diligent prayer. In fact, it, he prayed for one man for 52 years that he would turn to the Lord. And he died, and the, the man became a Christian some, a little bit after he, after he died. And you know what George Mueller's secret is? And it's in this book again, which I, maybe we'll buy this for everybody, I don't know, uh, for Christmas or whatever. But uh, his secret, kind of the same thing. You know, there's a book by Hudson Taylor called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. You know, I kind of worry about it, things when they say, like, there's one secret here, but... But for both of them, what it was, was the secret is that they prayed the Bible. In fact, George Mueller, I don't know if you've read any biography of him, it says here that for 10 years he struggled in prayer. He couldn't focus, he wasn't consistent, he'd get sleepy. Okay, does this sound familiar? But, you know, this is, we're talking about George Mueller here. I'm not, I'm not going to exalt him, he would, wouldn't want that, certainly, but... Um, he realized after about 10 years, he said, he used to just jump into prayer. Get out of bed, jump, start praying, pray, 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 pray. And uh, then he started uh, reading the Bible. I mean, he always read the Bible, but he read the Bible first. And he prayed whatever he read. He prayed it, and it gave him, you know, confidence to pray. This is what the Word of God says. I'm going to pray this. That's it. That's his secret. We can do that. So if you turn the page over, on the back of your notes. By the way, Adoniram Judson is a great testimony of prayer. Hudson Taylor, like I mentioned. Uh, there are many other examples. But I am praying that we will be examples to each other in this kind of prayer. Prayers that avail much. It, can ha it should happen here. It will happen here. So, if you look at the back page, number one, I just want to, these are some thoughts by Joel Beakey. Uh, these are kind of a summary of uh, a study of the Puritans and, and some of their thoughts on prayer. First of all, give priority to it. And there's those two quotes I already mentioned. And it, it says, prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. So it's the first and most important thing you can do. Secondly, uh, it says, give yourself to prayer, not just your time. Give yourself to prayer. Remember, you know, it's not uh, something just added to your life. It's, it refers to it here. They refer to it as a thermometer of the soul. And then number three is give room to prayer. This is kind of a, a uh, play on words because the Puritans actually had a room. They had a physical place. And that was the prayer room. And it reminded me, by the way, uh, you know, that's their prayer closet. It reminded me of uh, the war, uh, war room. Is that the movie? Where in that movie, she took a closet, a literal closet, cleaned it all out, and that was her battle space. Remember that? That's what she called it. She listed all these things. She went to battle there. That was her prayer closet. Not a bad idea. Um, secondly, in that number three, it says block out stated times. It's good to be disciplined. Certainly to pray at all times, but uh, good to be disciplined in prayer. And then commit your, uh, yourself to pray in response to the least impulse to do so. So the least impulse from the spirit, the least impulse for need or you see something. He said, commit yourself to pray in response to the least impulse to do so. In other words, you develop a habit. And it says right at the end, you will ward off all kinds of spiritual diseases that way. Number four says, give the word to prayer. Again, uh, referring to this book called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. 
Um, the Puritans basically, that's what they did. They prayed with scripture and they prayed through scripture. That's how they prayed. Then number five, kind of a theological term maybe here, but our focus basically in prayer should be to glorify the triune God, the triune God. So we pour out our heart. And I like this because in the middle of there, it says, recognize that true prayer, true prayer, true prayer is a gift of the Father who gives it through the Son and works it within you by the Spirit, who in turn enables it to ascend back to the Son, who sanctifies it and presents it acceptable to the Father. That's what he means by this theocentricity. Well, today after lunch, we're going to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are crying out that we do pray for them. Uh, We're going to be lifting up our requests for our persecuted brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus, in faith, expectantly. And when you, when you read their requests, that's what they, they want. They know they cannot go on without it. So may we, may we, brothers and sisters, bring effective, fervent prayers to the Lord uh, for our brothers and sisters today after um, our lunch. And more and more, do the same for ourselves and for each other in this body. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you for the gospel of grace that enables us to always commune with you and to adore you, to confess and be unburdened, uh, to give thanks for all your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus and to present our needs to you. And we thank you that prayer avails much because we come in the name of Jesus, because you are a merciful and forgiving and loving Lord, full of grace, and you love us so much that you allow us, indeed, you make it clearly known in your word that you desire for us to commune with you in this way. Oh, Lord, that we would learn how open the way is to prayer and how much we can honor you and bless others, even with mustard seed faith. Lord, you alone are to receive all glory for this, and we do pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.